Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 called Rest and Retribution. Second Thessalonians chapter one. We have started a, uh, we started some weeks back a two-part series, if you will. It's not really a series because we're just teaching verse by verse through the Bible, but we're looking at First and Second Thessalonians, and we called the big teaching "Our Crown at His Coming," based upon First Thessalonians two nineteen and twenty. We completed First Thessalonians last Sunday. And we are now moving right to the second book, which is 2 Thessalonians. So if you have it, would you stand to your feet if you're able to physically as we read the text together? 2 Thessalonians 1, rest and retribution. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God and your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Five. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony uh, to you was believed. To this end, Also, we pray for you always that our God may count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power in order that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Rest in retribution. I mentioned to you when we uh, launched the study in 1 and 2 Thessalonians that next to Revelation, this, uh, these two letters have the most about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see once again that we are going to be in that territory as we look at his second coming. You, you'll notice at the end of the, the passage that we just read, or nearing the end, we have some very strong, powerful, sobering uh, revelation about the return of the Lord. And what's going to happen when he returns? And it is captured in apocalyptic language, uh, flaming fire and the mighty angels coming and dealing out retribution. And this is 
The theme that we picked up in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, which is the day of the Lord. And we jumped into a study in chapter 5 where we looked at the Bible and we looked at eight different Old Testament authors that talk about the day of the Lord and several New Testament authors that also talk about the day of the Lord and what will surround that. And even in this first century young church that Paul had planted with the other missionaries mentioned in verse 1, Paul Silvanus is a lengthened form of the name Silas and Timothy. These were the three missionaries that went into Thessalonica. Just to remind you, in Acts chapter 17, we won't go back over that because we set the groundwork for the two letters when we introduced the books. But Acts 17 is where you'd want to look, verses 1 through 15, to see how the church was planted. And they went into this Greek city and they reasoned in the synagogue And people got saved and a church was planted, but there was persecution almost immediately. What we do know for sure is that Paul was there for three Sabbaths, maybe for a couple of months, and he grounded the church in, in, in as much truth as he could, and then he left the city, and he moved on, and he went to Berea, and then ended up in Corinth in chapter 18 of the book of Acts. And he writes back to these, this church, uh, probably from Corinth and not too long afterwards. And scholars date First and Second Thessalonians around 50 to 51 AD. Most believe that Jesus died around 33 AD, somewhere in there. Some say 30 AD. And so what you have is these letters written within about 20 years of the passion of the, of the Christ. So within about 20 years of the events of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, missionaries go out, The preaching starts in Jerusalem, it goes to Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. This is one of those parts where a church was planted because missionary hearts went out. Paul was called, he went uh, all over the Roman world as best he could, and he began to preach the gospel to strategic cities, and this was one of them. And this city was very strategic for the gospel to go out to many different places. In fact, one of the reasons it came to us is because it got to Thessalonica. And so Paul is addressing this church and writing this second letter. Most scholars would say 2 Thessalonians comes quickly after 1 Thessalonians. So you don't have a big gap between the two letters. They are very near in terms of the dating. Uh, A typical greeting comes in verse 2, grace to you and peace. The word grace is charis in uh, Greek. The word peace is irene. It is a synonym for shalom in Hebrew. And this is a common greeting, grace to you and peace. You can't have peace without grace. If you have God's grace in your life, then you're going to have his peace because you're going to have peace with him and you're going to have experiential peace. And notice that that grace and peace comes from God the Father, the sender, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the sent one. Jesus Christ, when he was walking the earth, was the visible manifestation of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. In John 17, 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, If you have seen me, John 14, 9, you have seen the Father. That is why when letters open, this uh, connection between the Father and the Son is so close. They are both the source of grace and peace because It comes from the sender, the father, who so loved the world that he gave or sent his son, 
and from the sent one, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. That's why Father and Son are often included in this greeting, and of course, by implication, the Spirit of God as well. And we have this wonderful greeting that I think we would want to share with everyone that we know and we love, that they would experience grace and peace. That's my prayer for you, that you would have grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be well. But this Thessalonian church needed some encouragement because they were dealing with persecution. They needed to be reminded of the rest that they have in Jesus. They had believed on him and found rest for their souls, but they were going through some intense persecution and life wasn't easy. To make matters worse, just reading a little bit from my notes, apparently someone had sent them a letter or a message in Paul's name, we'll get into it in the next chapter, telling them that they had entered into the day of the Lord. Some of the Thessalonian believers decided that if the Lord's coming was so near, there was no need to work anymore. They quit their jobs and they began to wait for him. The persecution was hot and the burden for the church trying to care for those who were not working became very heavy. This church would have been understandably either confused about their eschatology or the things related to the last days or frightened or both by what was happening. They were being told that they had entered into the day of the Lord by someone who had written a letter in Paul's name. And they were trying to care care for the burdens of the church. And when there is doctrinal confusion in a fellowship, and when people begin to walk out that confusion, it lays burdens on people. It can be doctrinal burdens, but it can also be practical burdens. And because people were confused about their eschatology, they began to quit their jobs and really kind of mooch off of other believers. And because of the nature of the church caring for one another, people felt obligated to care for their brethren. But it wasn't fair, and it was based upon a false teaching. I will tell you this, uh, a group that started really in the 1900s called Jehovah's Witnesses has done this sadly to their own people. They predicted the end of the world on multiple occasions, including 1914, and they got their people all revved up. They had all this apocalyptic teaching that was going out, beginning with Charles Taze Russell. And many of these faithful Jehovah's Witnesses who had been duped by the Watchtower and by Russell and Rutherford and others quit their jobs and they gave themselves to full-time what they might call missionary work going door to door. They thought the end of the world was near. And if you followed any of the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know how sad it is that every prediction they made, they were wrong. And they had people literally in the 1900s quitting their jobs, not going to college, not having children, all based upon a false prophecy from a false prophet. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Join Pastor Michael this Wednesday, November 11th for our next free 633 event called Breaking the Chains That Bind Us, Seeking Truth About Sexuality. You or your family and friends might have questions about sexuality. What does the Bible say about it? How does what the culture say about sexuality differ from Scripture? Why do people struggle with their sexuality? Sexuality seems to be a difficult topic for some Christians, but it really shouldn't be. Pastor Michael will speak with clinical psychologist and author Dr. Diane Boll. Come to our free event where you will be able to ask questions anonymously through our Living Truth app. 
Remember, this free event is this Wednesday, November 11th at 6.30 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California. If you live outside the area, the event will be streamed live on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Call 844-48-TRUTH for more information or go to walkintruth.com. That's 844-48-TRUTH or go to walkintruth.com. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. But this Thessalonian church needed some encouragement because they were dealing with persecution. They needed to be reminded of the rest that they have in Jesus. They had believed on him and found rest for their souls, but they were going through some intense persecution and life wasn't easy. To make matters worse, just reading a little bit from my notes, apparently someone had sent them a letter or a message in Paul's name, we'll get into it in the next chapter, telling them that they had entered into the day of the Lord. Some of the Thessalonian believers decided that if the Lord's coming was so near, there was no need to work anymore. They quit their jobs and they began to wait for him. The persecution was hot and the burden for the church trying to care for those who were not working became very heavy. This church would have been understandably either confused about their eschatology or the things related to the last days or frightened or both by what was happening. They were being told that they had entered into the day of the Lord by someone who had written a letter in Paul's name. And they were trying to care care for the burdens of the church. And when there is doctrinal confusion in a fellowship, and when people begin to walk out that confusion, it lays burdens on people. It can be doctrinal burdens, but it can also be practical burdens. And because people were confused about their eschatology, they began to quit their jobs and really kind of mooch off of other believers. And because of the nature of the church caring for one another, people felt obligated to care for their brethren. But it wasn't fair, and it was based upon a false teaching. I will tell you this, uh, a group that started really in the 1900s called Jehovah's Witnesses has done this, sadly, to their own people. They predicted the end of the world on multiple occasions, including 1914, And they got their people all revved up. They had all this apocalyptic teaching that was going out, beginning with Charles Taze Russell. And many of these faithful Jehovah's Witnesses who had been duped by the Watchtower and by Russell and Rutherford and others quit their jobs and they gave themselves to full-time what they might call missionary work going door to door. They thought the end of the world was near. And if you followed any of the teaching of Jehovah's Witnesses, you know how sad it is that every prediction they made, they were wrong. And they had people literally in the 1900s quitting their jobs, not going to college, not having children, all based upon a false prophecy from a false prophet. And it was unfortunate because Charles Taze Russell didn't know what he was talking about. In fact, he got some of his predictions from measuring the inner chambers of the pyramids in Egypt. That's how bizarre his prophecies were. And this, this is how false prophecy and false doctrine can affect a whole group of people. And there were many Jehovah's Witnesses over the years that became disenfranchised as they predicted the return of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in 1925 and even bought a mansion down in San Diego called Beth Sarim. Spent, I believe, millions of dollars to anticipate the return of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And I don't have to tell you that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not show up. And so in order to cover their tracks, they said that Jesus invisibly returned in 1914 instead of visibly appearing. But it was all a cover-up, and many Jehovah's Witnesses left uh, the organization. And this happened many, many times during the 1900s. And finally, their, I think their most current president or the one before that said that they were going to stop making predictions and stop setting dates. Yeah, I would say that that would be a good idea. But it's not just Jehovah's Witnesses that have had an issue with prophecy and understanding the end times or what we call eschatology. And I mentioned to you, and I say that word, the word eschaton, it just has the idea of the last days. Ology just means the study of. So eschatology is just the study of the last things or the last days. And this is what we're dealing with here. And this church was confused and they were young in the Lord. And, you know, when people are young in the Lord and they don't have a whole lot of foundation to what they believe, and maybe they hear one perspective on, you know, a point of view from someone that looks like they're authoritative, people can become confused. And this letter had come apparently at least claiming to be in Paul's name, and it caused a lot of... uh, Unrest And so grace and peace takes on maybe a little uh, more uh, uh, depth here uh, and, and direct need in terms of this church. Paul says in verse 3, we ought always, or we are bound, New King James, verse 3, always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because there are three things that he's going to mention about this church. Your faith is greatly enlarged to, in the middle of verse 3, the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. What a great growing church. And then in verse 4, he's going to talk about their perseverance in, and faith in the midst of all your persecutions. One way to identify the fact that the Thessalonian congregation was healthy was their faith was growing and being enlarged, their love was growing, and their persever- perseverance was holding fast. It's a good way to measure your walk. Is your faith growing? Is it enlarging? If your faith enlarges, if you become a person that is growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're growing in your faith, your ability to minister to others will enlarge. If I can use an Old Testament image, your territory will enlarge in terms of impact. You'll be able to impact more people the more you grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you this morning, is your faith enlarging? Can you say, you know what, I'm not the person that I used to be a year ago. I'm not the person I want to be, but I certainly have grown in my faith. I've grown in the faith and understanding what I believe and why I believe and how to defend it and how to share it and how to make it really the priority of my life and how to know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I hope and pray that that's the case. Now, he says, I want to point out something in verse 3 that I think is important. He says, we are bound, New King James, always to give thanks to God for you. This is almost the idea of duty. Paul feels uh, bound, and you could say, of course, it's only right, but he says, we ought to always give thanks to God for you. When you hear of of a people group, a church holding firm, give thanks to God for those people wherever they may be. If you know a friend that you led to the Lord some years back and that person's still walking with the Lord, I think we are bound to give thanks to God for that. Amen? And by the way, I was listening to another teacher and he was teaching on these verses and he said, you know what? Giving thanks 
is spiritually therapeutic. Let me explain. When you are a thankful person, it will breathe spiritual health into your life. Amen? And so this is an important kind of just a little nugget of application here. It says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren. You know, there, there, are, there are many things that are going on in this world and many reasons that we could go down our list to be negative, but here Paul is so positive. Paul could talk about his stonings and shipwrecks and rejections, but he praises God that this little church was standing firm. He gives thanks to God. And I will tell you that whenever you begin to go down a list of thankfulness, it will be therapeutic to your soul. Because negativity will breed, will breed uh, kind of, it will poison your spiritual life. Everybody with me? But thankfulness will breathe goodness and health into your spiritual life. And in fact, uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul talks about not, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right in those verses he talks about praising God as a regular habit and being thankful into verse 20, Ephesians 5. We won't go there as a spiritual habit, as if to say being filled with the Spirit is connected to praise and to thanksgiving. And I think that that is true. Because I think a thankful heart is a heart that's turning to God in gratitude. And that's one way that I believe that we keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. We keep thinking about the goodness of God in the land of the living. Now he says it's only fitting that we do this. Your faith is greatly large. We celebrate that. The love that you have for one another is growing ever greater. Good prayer to pray for people is, and for ourselves, is, Lord, let my love grow greater and greater every day. Let me be more loving than I was yesterday, not less. And this church was doing that. And they were doing it in the midst, persevering in the midst of much persecution. Look at verse 4. We, are, we, all, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. We boast about you. We tell people, man, that Thessalonian church is amazing. We boast among the churches of God of you, of your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions. See that word afflictions in your Bible? Unless you have a New King James, it's rendered afflictions, I believe, in every version that I know of. But here it is tribulations, or you could say troubles. It is the Greek word flipsis, which is the common word rendered tribulations. They were going through all these persecutions and tribulations, and they were enduring them. And that this little church was holding on. And you maybe have been going through a lot of stuff. We were talking about at the men's conference yesterday, the last six months has been really challenging for a lot of people. But in many ways, it's been good for us to be stretched, to be challenged as American Christians. We'd be a little soft, people. Let's face it. We've had it really good for a pretty long time. And now we are facing some tribulating, if you want to put it that way. And it's challenging us a little bit to ask ourselves what we really believe. And do we believe when it's convenient? Or are we willing to stand in the midst of persecutions, which are here, by the way? You've been listening to Rest and Retribution Part 1 on Walk in Truth. 
Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Remember, if you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on apps like Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Player FM, and more. Please search for us and subscribe so you can listen to this series and many other teachings from Pastor Michael. Like his teachings in 1 Thessalonians or the book of Revelation. Remember, search and subscribe, Walk in Truth, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, tomorrow night we have the special 633 event with Dr. Diane Bull. She's a clinical psychologist. She loves the Bible and she loves people. And she sees a lot of people in inside the church, outside the church, in her practice who have struggles in the area of sexuality, questions about why we struggle and what's going on and how does this work with the brain and the Bible and all of that. Breaking the Chains That Bind Us, Seeking Truth About Sexuality, happening at Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's going to start at 6.33 in the evening. You can submit a question on the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app. You say, Pastor Michael, how do I get to that? Well, search Living Truth Christian Fellowship, look for the red logo with the pillars, download it for free, and you can ask a question. Look for the 6.33 a question form there on the app. You can find out information and directions to come to the event that night, and you can find that out when you call 844-48-TRUTH or when you go to walkintruth.com. Now, the church where I serve as senior pastor is a wonderful church in the city of Corona. We're located at 1009 Arsenal Way. Think of the armor of God in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue. Now, this event will be live streamed, so if you can't get here, you can tune into our YouTube channel, look for Living Truth Christian Fellowship on YouTube, or you can get to the YouTube page by going to walkintruth.com. Hey, so glad you're listening. God bless you, and we'll see you here, Lord willing, tomorrow. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 called Rest and Retribution. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.